right. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. It is my great pleasure to welcome a dear friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Teresa Heath, to the podcast. Teresa and I worked together for many years at the University of Minnesota and had all kinds of adventures. And Teresa is now the Associate Director of International and Off-Campus Studies at St. Olaf College, um, which is a liberal arts college in Northfield, Minnesota. So Teresa, welcome. I'm so glad that you were willing to make the time to, to be on the podcast. Thank you, Matthew, so much. I am just really thrilled to be invited as a guest. And as always, I'm excited just to be able to have an opportunity to chat with you. Same here. Um, would you like to just share a little bit about, yeah, I mentioned your current title and position, just a little bit more about your you know, educational background, um, anything else you want to say kind of about your, your professional or academic background? Yeah, so, you know, my path to the current position that I have at St. Olaf has been a bit winding mm -hmm. um, and has really been a mixture of nonprofit organization work and higher education and working both in the United States and working internationally. So, um, you know, after I graduated from my undergrad, I moved to Guatemala uh, to work with a nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. um, and when I came back, I was really trying to figure out where I wanted to go and kind of what my direction would be. And I ended up earning a master's degree from the School for International Training in Vermont. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, after another short time on the U.S.-Mexico border, made my way to the University of Minnesota, um, where we work together. And I think kind of watching you go through that PhD program and um, all of our conversations really was a big motivator for me and going back and working towards my own PhD um, in the organizational leadership and policy development uh, department at the University of Minnesota. Um, mm -hmm. So I you know, have been particularly interested in issues of um, kind of relate the relationship building aspects of international education and um, really looking more critically at some of the experiences that students take away um, and that higher ed kind of creates in its programming. Yeah, I, I, um, I learned a lot um, from you working with you because you, as you said, you, you had all that experience um, working in the nonprofit space, you know, living in um, Central America, working on the border. Um, so I, I, I learned a lot from you um, in, our, in our, our time working together. And, um, you know, as, as our conversation continues here, I think we'll have a chance to hear a little bit about some of the research you did for your dissertation. Um, and um, I've recently been reading through that and really enjoying it and finding your research fascinating. So, um, so Teresa, you mentioned that you have quite a lot of experience working in academic and higher ed contexts um, in the US and also abroad. Would you say that these experiences working in those spaces have shaped your, you know, your cultural identity, how you view the world? Yes, absolutely. And I think what drew me to kind of the work that I do, I sometimes feel if I take a long enough look back um, that my road has kind of been heading towards 
this place um, since grade school. Mm. Uh, and education really played a big piece of that. And I remember kind of being a, a child and my brother's girlfriend studied abroad and um, in Sevilla and I didn't know that, you know, that I didn't know that study abroad was a thing. And having a really um, challenging Spanish teacher in high school um, and really feeling committed to, to learning the Spanish language and understanding um, the U.S.'s role in the world and particularly in Latin America mm -hmm. and um, really feeling that motivation to spend time um, understanding kind of what, what it meant to live abroad, but also what the U.S. foreign policy um, uh, had really meant in Latin America. And so I, I moved to Guatemala right after, um, right after undergrad, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And um, that lived experience, I felt like I really unpacked for years through my master's program and, and even afterwards. Um, thinking about relationships between um, you know, between countries, thinking about issues of power, um, thinking about you know the the way that we work across borders, mm -hmm. um, thinking about how we partner with people and organizations. Um, when we work abroad. And I think that really played into some of the work that we did together at the University of Minnesota, um, partnering with, you know, institutions in China mm -hmm. and um, Austria and Poland. And, and in fact, I remember um, at one time being asked, you know, well, you know, what would be a challenge in, in working with partners in, in China and Austria and, and Poland and in these kind of higher ed um, situations. Mm -hmm. And I said, I thought it was gonna be difficult or a challenge always to work across um, kind of cultural differences and across language differences and those types of things. And um, the follow-up question being from um, Mike, that mm -hmm. our, our boss, mm -hmm. asked, well, well, you've already done that. Um, you did that in Guatemala and you've done that on the border. Don't you think that that will be something that you already know how to do? And you know, this work and working uh, with people and, and creating relationships is always surprising and it always has different challenges that you can't anticipate. And it is never something that you should feel, in my experience, that you you can just check that box and, uh, and you're an expert. Um, it is right. really a lifelong learning opportunity, really a lifelong learning journey um, in my own experience. Absolutely, yeah. Um, no, I like how you weave together all those different pieces of your experience. And, um, you know, we've chatted a couple of times recently and, and it's been interesting to hear some of your thoughts about, you know, in, you know, in comparing sort of your knowledge of educational systems in other countries, including Canada, which we'll probably talk a little bit about in, in a minute or two, um, you've come to some interesting sort of, you've had some interesting observations about the way that U.S. higher education tends to work um, in terms of the dominant sort of cultural forces within U.S. higher education. You know, the fact that, as many have noted, that much of U.S. higher education is a very white-dominated 
Eurocentric dominated space. Um, and not to give too much away about your dissertation research, but you you looked into um, you know indigenous perspectives, um, uh, a very different angle on on education and on society and on so many things. So in doing that kind of compare, comparing, are there certain um, core cultural values or norms that you've come to recognize in sort of that white majority U.S. higher education context, if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's, there's a lot to unpack. Um, and I think that we both come from kind of an interesting grounding in this coming from a business school, mm -hmm. which is where we worked together for many years, and how we kind of worked in this environment where we we're pushing against a norm where students, particularly graduate or MBA students, were really seen as kind of customers. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes even students was a word that I remember people mentioning, well, maybe we shouldn't call them students. They're, they're more um, customers. Right, I remember, yeah. Yeah, and, and like what that means for expectations and what the purpose of learning might be. Um, and, and I felt at times, um, you know, I think we've always, you and I've always, uh, talked a lot about intercultural learning, um, mm -hmm. and how it pertained to our work. And, um, and one thing I felt or kind of noticed when talking about intercultural learning in some spaces was a, a, a real emphasis on competency. Hmm. And a real idea that intercultural learning was a skill that could then be honed for success in business. And so hearing hmm. students talk about, well, be better positioned to negotiate um, in multinational companies or, hmm. or being as blatant as this will help me get you know, what I want. And right. I'm being really troubled at times about, about that. Cause I think you and I had very different kind of values underlying this of, of, um, of partnering, of, of building relationships of kind of, uh, you know, I think we, we encountered a lot of assumptions that were made between students and between countries and mm -hmm. motivations and those types of things. And, and we were really motivated, I think, about trying to better understand where people were coming from and, you know, what, how we could you know, build closer relationships and um, towards, towards solutions or towards, um, I don't know, just, it always felt a, you and I were kind of working towards something perhaps a little bit more altruistic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that we also were trying to find ways, I remember having a lot of conversations where we would talk about how do we talk about um, themes of understanding or themes of, um, of building relationships in a way that will be relevant or hook kind of our, our, our populations. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was, you know, that was interesting work. Um, and when I went back to school, I, or to, to kind of look at my PhD, I was at first thinking, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to dig into that, um, that space. But as I continued to reflect on international education, I, I was often also 
thinking about the populations and difference that we talked about at home and this real disconnect, I felt like between the intercultural understanding that we talked about in global programs and what that meant in a local space. And that often the local space seemed to be completely outside of a global network. Um, and so we would talk about global learning, but in some ways we weren't even, you know, in the in this U.S. context, we weren't even placed in that global learning. Um, we were kind of observing it. Um, and so I, um, I kind of started thinking about um, what happens in these settings where you have populations of people who are maybe um, not part of the majority, not considered kind of the majority perspective um, mm -hmm. in the United States and um, that are kind of values and learning that are then glossed over in an international setting um, where we tend to focus mm -hmm. just on nation states as the differentiator. And I, I really found that in culture and in intercultural work, I felt like we we're often using international and intercultural um, at the, like we're kind of what's interchangeably using those terms. That's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I um, had done some work with a nonprofit organization where we partnered um, with a number of um, indigenous communities in the United States and thinking about, um, you know, there, there are these issues of sovereignty when looking at indigenous communities. Um, and, and so sovereignty, particularly in regards to education and the purpose of education. Um, and that led me to kind of look at, um, at, at other types of learning and, um, you know, what are the under, what is the purpose of education? Um, is the purpose to uh, kind of around individualized um, uh, skill sets and skill building, um, or is there more of a community impact to learning um, or a community responsibility towards, towards learning? Um, and how do we talk about the way in which we move through relationships um, with indigenous communities in the United States? So um, in Minnesota, we have 11 um, tribal communities. Those are, those are all in you know, sovereign communities, um, but we don't really treat them as such. Um, they are kind of uh, often thought of as another stakeholder uh, in this, in the state. And so, um, so yes, those kind of all of those, that's a lot of different things, um, but it all kind of led me to think about how we can look at international education in a perspective that really grounds the place where we are um, as being central to that experience. Um, and that the, and how do we decouple the concept of nation state from um, you know, exchanging of ideas and experiences? Yeah, no, that's all really fascinating. I, I really like the point you made about how sometimes we conflate international and intercultural um, and that, yeah, we just, we just think about national cultures and, you know, with this, somehow this is this <laughs> assumption that um, American culture, for example, 
or Chinese culture or Russian culture, each of those is just one discrete thing unto itself. And the, the, you know, ignoring all, all that is within that. Um, and I also like how you said, you know, that in Minnesota, historically, that yeah, the, the indigenous communities, the original inhabitants of the land, the owners of the land, are, are often treated as just another stakeholder rather than respecting their their status. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that reflects back, as you said very well, on kind of the, the sort of dom some of the dominant perspectives and values in US higher education coming from that sort of Eurocentric, um, I suppose colonialist sort of perspective, whether or not, you know, people in higher ed today recognize that as such. But um, I think, I think it's something to really think about and unpack. Um, so thinking about um, some of your really interesting observations about kind of US higher ed, um, you know, we, I mentioned earlier that you did um, your dissertation research in Canada, and I've been really fascinated to learn more about it. And you shared with me recently a story of an experience you had um, while you were conducting your, your research in Canada. Um, so I was wondering if you could just kind of tell that story or at least part of that, whichever parts of that story you feel um, like you can tell. Um, Cause I think it just is such an interesting, um, interesting perspective. Absolutely. And I think that it's important to also kind of note that um, in my dissertation, I really wanted to come at it really embodying my own positionality. Like I am a settler um, researcher. I am also a white researcher. I am an outsider to Canada as well. Um, and so I really wanted to think about it as, as an international educator, you know, where are the tensions with work around international and internationalization and intercultural work and the work that was being done or that is, is being done in a lot of um, Canadian institutions. Um, there's been a big uh, effort towards indigenizing um, uh, universities in Canada. Um, and there's a lot of uh, great research about that. There's been a lot of work that has been um, being done for decades, but there has been maybe a, a stronger push towards some of that work um, recently because of the truth and reconciliation um, work that's been done in Canada as a result of residential schools. Um, they're boarded, similar to, to the United States boarding schools and kind of the devastating effects of those, um, those schools. And so I think it's really important to note that I didn't, I didn't set out to kind of unearth or to research indigenous perspectives of international, but defined of international education or, but rather to see where in my place as an international educator, um, where are the blind spots and where are the assumptions that are being made and where are the tensions in this work um, with the hope that it could kind of inform um, how work, how international work and efforts and how intercultural efforts can be done differently um, and perhaps uh, more intentionally and respectfully. Mm. Um, and 
as part of this research, I, I was at an, an institution at a university and I was attending, um, I was going to attend an indigenization workshop. And um, so I, I attended the workshop and I, we, we sat in a circle and we all introduced ourselves um, and um, also recognizing the land uh, and the indigenous peoples of the land where we were coming from, um, which is a very common uh, practice. Or it, it's, it's not just common, it is expected practice in Canada um, mm. and something that is, I think, uh, becoming more common in the United States. And, mm -hmm. I, I, um, and as we sat in a circle, the, the workshop was being led by kind of a director um, and a visiting elder. And they started to tell a story. Um, and this story uh, kept going. And, you know, I was coming at this from a workshop perspective. So I kept thinking to myself, like, okay, like, is this, when does this story and, um, you know, are we going to have time to kind of discuss what we think about it and do maybe some breakout sessions? Um, you know, what are the learnings? Um, are, are we going to get some handouts? Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, and I need to kind of think about actionable steps, um, thinking about how I'm going to kind of um, uh, put this into, in, into practice. And um, the story went on, the stories went on, and um, time went by, and we were nearing the end of the time allotted for this workshop, and um, the two presenters kind of closed the story and kind of turned to us and said, you know, there's a lot more that one could be said. There are whole classes that could be taught around this. Um, and then thanked us and kind of sent us on our way. And I kind of sat there and, you know, and, and, and I remember the feeling of, of that experience of kind of like the, the bodily feeling of, of or embodied feeling of, of kind of being, um, I was fidgeting and kind of mm. moving my foot and crossing my legs and recrossing them and mm. kind of looking around the room and looking at the clock and um and and I was left really confused and and really like I, I don't really know what to take away from this mm -hmm. and um I remember chatting with another participant and kind of the realization of what education and learning looks like and oh this is you know, we, we often talk about best learning practices and teaching practices, and it's participatory, and um, I, you know, eye contact, and, and only speaking for a short period of time, and, um, you know, reflecting and making meaning together, and that really wasn't the purpose of this um, session. That, that isn't what it looked like, and and in that moment, I mean, uh, those kind of realizations of like, maybe I'm not as great of a listener and, and that's a real thing I need to think about. But also, um, this isn't uh, a checklist. Um, Michelle Pigeon talks about, um, you know, this work isn't a checklist mm -hmm. that you can just say that this is done. Um, that it's really is embodied learning and it means changing kind of the, 
the way in which we think about education, the way that we deliver, the purpose of education, the takeaways from education. And so it also isn't just something that you, you know, you learn or you pick up. Um, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's like, a, a, not to get too PhD, but there really is like an ontological turn that has to be, I think, um, uh, uh, kind of acknowledged. Right. Um, and, and who kind of can, who can do that ontological grounding? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it was a really powerful moment um, for me and kind of a real humbling moment, I think, too. I, I, I so um, I've, this is not the second time I've heard you tell that story, and I, I just think it's such. I think it's a great story in itself, and I think it's also just the way that you tell it and the things you learn from it. I think are so insightful, and I also like how you recounted your 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 emotional state and your, even your physical state. You know, fidgeting, crossing your legs, you're tapping your foot, etc. Which I think probably many people can relate to in certain contexts um, of, of finding themselves feeling fidgety for whatever reason. And, um, and I think that, you know, in part gets back to just the value of um, in general and doing this work, as you, as you said, that it is embodied work and that, you know, trying to um, check in with ourselves, you know, if our mind is racing or if we're feeling certain ways or if we're embodying certain things, you know, what, what is that about? And I also really appreciate the, the way you talked about some of the assumptions that, that you brought in that I think many, um, you know, white U.S. Americans might bring into um, to a space like that, that a workshop means X, Y, and Z. A workshop means action items and next steps and clear deliverables and all those things. And that you were, you, you know, came to realize that in the space that you were in, that cultural context one way of putting it, um, just had had a, a very different approach and very different value system. Um, I mean, the, correct me if I'm wrong, Teresa, but the way that you tell that story, it's it. it my, my, what I take away from your story is that in that particular space, the value was on um, holding holding space for listening and not necessarily talking. Um, and not necessarily having things tied up with a bow. Is that is that accurate? Yes, I think particularly that piece around um, not wrapping it up in a bow. Um, that these are, you know, there there are issues and concepts and education that we're really going to grapple with, and. Um, and I think, and by we, I mean, you know, anybody kind of in, encountering that type of experience. And higher education is, it, particularly in the United States, is very prescriptive. It's very, um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, productivity and um, assessments and, um, mm -hmm. and a purpose for education. And kind of, and sometimes I think knowledge is, is something that we collect. And I know I can feel that same way of like wanting, hungry to learn, you know? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But, you know, not all knowledge is knowable and it is not all available for right. us. Um, 
And that is kind of in some ways antithetical to, to some of the, I think, precepts of, of higher education in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it is really uncomfortable, um, I think, for many to kind of realize that and, and what you have to give up um, mm -hmm. in that space. Um, and, and, you know, like another piece of it was that this piece about credentialing and who's an expert and um, when you have people who are elders who carry knowledge, um, they don't need to be credentialed by a <laughs> higher ed institution. That's not what it, that's not the purpose of that knowledge. Um, so, I mean, I, I still, there, there's still a lot to kind of think about um, in regards to the learning, but it, it is fundamentally distinct. Um. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, the other thing I, I really I like about that story, but also just your perspective in general and the work you've done and, and experiences you've had that, you know, sometimes when we, when we, when we think about cultural interactions, for example, we can, we can talk about them as if they're devoid, as if, the, the, the functions of like power and privilege um, aren't always visible when we talk about intercultural competence or cross-cultural interactions. And you and I both know that, you know, there's uh, increasingly in the field, there's been thankfully a, more of a recognition that we know we need to talk about oppression and power and privilege. And so I really like the point you made that not all knowledge is knowable for everybody or not all, not all knowledge is, um, it's not, it's not, uh, there's some knowledge that we don't, we don't all have a right to as well. Um, and I think that um, is, is something really worth, <laughs> worth, worth pondering. Um, so Teresa, I just want to thank you for a really fascinating conversation. And I imagine listeners of the podcast will also find it really interesting. I think, um, you know, in part, I think it's just, it's interesting that, you know, when we think about indigenous perspectives, we can think about those, of course, within the United States. And then I, I think it's really fascinating that you chose to do your, your um, dissertation research in Canada. And I think, you know, many Americans have kind of um, a generic sort of idea of, I suppose, um, dominantly white Canada. And I think it's, I'm really fascinating that your research is kind of bringing indigenous perspectives in that context to light. Um, so um, thank you for your time. And, um, uh, and I'm sure you and I will continue to have great conversations like this in the future, but I appreciate that we could record this particular conversation for others to listen to and maybe learn from. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. All right, take care.